All right, everybody, it's Wednesday, March 10th, 2.31 Mountain Standard Time. I'm checking in from Arizona, and we're bringing in a good friend, a Pittsburgh Steeler, first-round draft pick, and now author, Terrell Edmonds from Pittsburgh. Terrell, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's up, brother? How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Like I said, just traveling around. I know you were just out here on the West Coast enjoying the vibes, and now yeah. you're back, uh, back home east, but uh, I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm doing well. Like you said, I was on the West for a little bit. I had some good weather, and now I'm back here on the East Coast, man, in Pittsburgh. It's nice and cool out here. What's the weather like out there? It's it's getting it's warming up. Spring is kind of, you know. But when I first got here, I got here maybe last week, halfway last mm-hmm. week, it was snowing. Oh, and man. now it's been sunny for these last few days, like confusing me. So it's like, you know what I mean? Don't want to get too out are you going to stay? Are you staying in Pittsburgh for the foreseeable future or where you got any pl- travel plans coming up? Where do you, what are you up to? Man, no travel plans right now. I'm just in Pittsburgh. I'm working out a little bit, taking it day by day, honestly. Okay, man. Well, uh, looking forward to chopping it up with you. Glad to see that you're doing well. Uh, we got to start at the very beginning because I know I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Dan River, your high school career, your basketball career at Dan River. So we'd just kind of like to talk a little bit about um, before you got to Virginia Tech, your high school experience, playing with your brothers, and kind of what made you the athlete that you became getting to Virginia Tech. Man, taking it all the way back to the Dan River days. Uh, well, I'm not going to talk so much about football because everybody knows football by now. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to talk about basketball and track. So, And I also played soccer one year, so that was a big thing too. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so my basketball team in high school, we were pretty good. Uh, we were a very small school, though. Dan River is a very small school, but being able to play. I played with Trey two years in high school, uh, my freshman year, then my sophomore year. Then I played with Maine the remaining years. But every year we made it to the uh, state, not the state uh, final game, but the state tournament. So just from there, man, just my last year was the only year that we actually won. We went 25-0 and my last year in basketball. And each one of our brothers, we were all first team all state. So that was pretty dope. And then in track, uh, track was pretty smooth for us as well. Like we all ran the four by one. I ran the 400. So in the 400, I was a 48 guy, 47. I like to say 47. And just from there, just that's just what we did every day. It was always school, um, go to practice, come home, eat, and do the whole routine again. And that was everything that we always did. So you mentioned, you know, everybody knows about the football, but I love I love asking this this question here. So you look back at your time in soccer, you look back at your time in track and in basketball. What are some of the skill sets that you may be able to refine or some of the things that you took away from other sports that translated really well into your football game? I really in basketball, I would say just trying to face guard somebody because, you know, in basketball, you can't really touch them. So that helps out with like a DB not getting so many calls and everything, just like with your footwork. And the same with soccer. I only played soccer one year. Uh, I didn't make a goal because I always I was I was the fastest one in the field, but I never figured out the technique to make a goal. But even the footwork and just in soccer, just all the techniques and learn about spacing, uh, all of that, I think, just helps in football. So then obviously you have to talk about the sports family. We all know about the Edmonds brothers, but a little lesser known two-time Pro Bowl father and Pharrell Edmonds and uh, your mother, Felicia, was a track star as well. Um, mm-hmm. What kind of impact did they have on you 
Did they create uh, an environment of competition in your house? Um, what was it like growing up in a, in a family with such an athletic background? Really, everything was a competition. Uh, we used to race from once you get outside of a store to the car. Uh, my dad and my mom, they set up like a little uh, mini, mini relay race from outside our houses, from light pole to light pole, and we're just racing. And then uh, all different types of things in the house, we're seeing who can do different things the best. And it's just always a competition 24-7. And then fast forward a little bit, you decide to come to Virginia Tech, same mm-hmm. class. What led you to end up at Virginia Tech? What were you looking for in a university? I know that, um, that Trey was already there, but what were you really looking for and where you wanted to go to college? Man, honestly, for me, uh, when I was choosing a college first, I looked at school, of course, made sure I can get a good education. From there, I went to a straight position coach uh, because every school that I looked at, I didn't have that many offers, but every school that I had an offer from, they're pretty good. So it was just like, now it's all about seeing which coach and what the previous players that went to that school did. And a good thing about Virginia Tech, they had a great school, a great fan base, and great coaches. So it was just like going to play under Bud Foster, playing with Torian Great, Frank Beamer is the head of everything. So it was like, there's no way you could really lose in that program. So that's why I was just trying to go there and help out the best way I could. And then when you look at, I think the best word to describe, at least from, you know, from the inside looking at you and how, and how you approached everything, you were the model of a player that came in, embraced the grind and just developed mm-hmm. over his time at Virginia Tech. Uh, come in, little skinny kid from Dan, uh, from, uh, from Dan River. Uh, got in the weight room, really, you know, we've all seen the, the pictures from Coach Hilgard that he put out when he would do the transformation. But uh, coming back in, I remember, I mean, you couldn't catch a cold. You, did, you, you had the hand-eye coordination. You were great at basketball. And yeah, then rolling around in your red shirt sophomore year, um, you know, interceptions all over the place. And, you know, just what, how, did you embrace, how did you embrace the development aspect of your game, both from that red shirt year and uh, as you went along in your career? Man, honestly, just um, accepting what I know that I couldn't do. Uh, So a lot of times you try to push out what people say uh, just because a lot of different people are saying different things. So you just got to push out your head and just I just kept fighting Um, like with the catching stuff. You guys used to always joke about me with the catching uh, because we were always in the dorm and stuff throwing or whatever. But then you just had to go work on it. It was extra time on the jugs, uh, late nights, just running the hills. Uh, doing ladder work. Uh, it's just the stuff that people normally don't see that you just have to put that extra effort with and try to go out there and do it. And I think that's what um, helped me out a lot. Uh, not saying put me in the position that I am now, but definitely helped me out a lot uh, to growing into the type of player I can be and just being a leader on the field the best way I can. And then you mentioned DBU and kind of the the legacy of Virginia Tech from coming and seeing that from the outside looking in and then being a part of it and now representing it in the NFL, when you think of DBU and you think of Virginia Tech and the prowess and the history, what does it necessarily mean to you, DBU at Virginia Tech? DBU is everything. I mean, like you said, we had some amazing players come in before me and it was just like trying to live up in those footsteps is like, it brings out your, your competitor in you. And it was just all about competition then. And, um, DBU is just about family for one because Virginia Tech is all about family. DBU is about family. And then just going out there, putting it all out there on the field. 
uh, doing whatever you can to make a interception, make a tackle, make a big play for the team, just whatever you can, just put it all out there for your teammates. What is your relationship with the current defensive coaching staff and the members of DBU now? So you had Caleb Farley who's coming out. He's looking to be one of the best cornerbacks in the draft. You got Chamari Connor, who's a just tackling machine. Uh, are, the, are you having conversations with these guys? How involved are you with the current uh, current regime and the current DBU uh, at VT? So Caleb was already there when I got there. Well, yeah. not when I got there, but he came when I was there. So I, I knew Caleb a little more than I knew everyone else on the DBU right now. But even with the coaches and everything, it was so many changes. But I still talk to a lot of those guys on, through social media, on Twitter, on Instagram, all different types of stuff like that. So just let them know that my, my phone is always open for them and they can ask me whatever, whenever. That's awesome. And what about, what about if you look at your entire time and there were so many great moments, uh, even though it was a loss, you played unbelievable in the Syracuse game in 2016, uh, running down the field with both of your brothers against Ohio State. Um, what, as you look back at it, what is your favorite moment as a Virginia Tech Hokie? As a Virginia Tech Hokie, are you just talking football wise or are you talking about? Honestly, let's do both. If you got, if you got one for both, I'll hear, uh, I'll hear one football related and one, uh, just your time at Virginia Tech related. I would definitely say in the Clemson game, um, when they threw the fake, the fake punt to me, Mm -hmm. that was something I always remember because that was the only pass, like I caught on the offensive side for the team my whole time there. And then it was just a big play and it was an AC championship. So that's definitely something I always remember. And for not just football wise, do you remember Hokey Camp? Yes, bro. I, you know, they don't do it anymore. They don't do it anymore. It's gone. People didn't like Hokey Camp. I loved Hokey Camp. I felt <laughs> like I knew everyone so much more after Hokey Camp. Like, and we were just out there doing whatever, just relax. We didn't have to worry about football or school or nothing. We just relax. I'm so glad I'm so glad you brought that up because that was really the one opportunity because you get so stuck in the in the in the in the yeah. tunnel that is athletics. And you know, my father was always talking about this and other people were always talking about this. Like you have to make friends outside of the normal group that you run with. And just being able to meet other people from the student body and most of them were obviously super excited to get to Virginia Tech. They're coming an entire semester early. Um, I wish they'd bring that back, man. Hokey can't really kind of set the set the stage for everything and got you ingrained in the community. Nah, you're right about that. And just like, like you said, meeting people that not going to say I wouldn't talk to them, but you normally wouldn't talk to because you'll be so busy with your football guys, but just meeting everyone at Hokie camp. I still talk to some of them to this day. Uh, They messaged me and I messaged them back like, wow, uh, from Hokie camp. So it was just lit. Man, shout out to Hokie camp. That's a good, that's a good, that's a good plug right there. Terrell. I like that. Um, I ask everybody who gets on here, favorite Coach Beamer memory and favorite Coach Fuente memory. Favorite Coach Beamer memory. I'm trying to remember. I blocked a, um, a punt against, I want to say Boston College maybe. Mm-hmm. And that week, Coach Beamer, he put me on the screen. And whenever Coach Beamer puts you on the screen, you know that you did something. That was a young guy, so I was so happy. <laughs> That was probably my favorite Coach Beamer moment. Okay. And then Coach Fuente? Coach Fuente moment. I'm trying to think because we had some pretty good moments, like towards the latter part of my years. But um, I want to say we were running one day. Like we were doing sprints. 
you remember we used to do the 50 yard sprint. I think it was either 50 yard sprint. So we had to do like 14 of them in a row. Yep. Yeah. To walk back and yeah, like mm -hmm. five or six seconds, but it's, everything's a job pretty much. So then one day I was running, I was running right beside coach Fu. I ran right past him. And then he was like, you know, you keep on sprinting these. I'm going to make them do them. I'm going to make people do them all day. And I just thought that was just like, he was just showing me some respect a little bit from just going out there trying to work. And it was just good. I love that. And then moving on to your, uh, to your NFL career. When did you, what was the, I'm going to declare process like? Um, because I know you and your brother were kind of tied at the hip, trying to make a decision there and nobody kind of really knew what you were going to do. What led you to ultimately declare and how did that decision process go? Uh, it went, it was stressful, honestly. It was just because you had different agents and stuff trying to text you during the season. But you're just like, we're not even going to talk about it right now. And then just knowing that you're going to have to leave the guys that you've been with for the last three years that you were really grinding with late nights, talking to every day, hanging out with, that's a big thing. And then just the unknown, you can say, uh, because no one ever knows when they're, where they're going to go. Like you might hear that you're going first round, but you might think you're going 10th rather than 20th. So it was just the unknown. It was just you never know exactly what's going on. And what drove me to make the decision, ultimately my family, um, had long talks with them, my mom, my dad, my brothers. We all talked together and just really thought that was the best decision to do. And we both took that step. Who are some of the other influential people that led you to that decision or who did you speak with regarding that decision, whether it be current ball players, coaches, um, who, who else was kind of weighing in on that with you? I talked to Coach Beamer. I talked to Cam Chancellor. I talked to Torian Gray. That was our old defensive back coach. And then um, just talked to Bud Foster and Coach Fuente. Like they never nudged me to go either way. They were just talking back and forth, just trying to see where my head was. And I think all those people really played a big part into it. So I remember this was, uh, this was my time working in the recruiting department and we had pro day and Mike Tomlin shows up for pro day. Mm -hmm. And um, the funniest part about the whole thing was when both you and Tremaine did your weigh-in and they took your height, he laughed out loud as they were going through the, going through the measurables after you guys had both tested. But I'm curious, what was that relationship like with the Steelers and kind of what were they telling you leading up to, uh, leading up to draft day? Um, the Steelers, they were just talking to me back and forth. They kept calling um, we just had some normal conversations. I met with them. The first time I ever met with them was at the combine. Mm -hmm. And we had the late night meeting. They just wanted to have general general conversation. It was way different than other teams because with other teams, you always have to draw on the board or mm -hmm. go plays. That was just pretty much general conversation. And then from there, they said they wanted to go out to eat with me the night before pro day. So we went to eat with them that night before. And Where'd y'all go? McAdoo's. McAdoo's. You picked it. Yes. Okay. All right. Endless wings, whatever you need. Philly cheesesteak. Mm -hmm. I had a good time. You um, had you had you had wings and Philly cheesesteak the night before pro day. Yes. At McAdoo's. <laughs> At McAdoo's. At McAdoo's, and we were up top, and it was it was just it was cool, man. Just going out there eating with all the coaches because all the defensive coaches were there, and it was just fun, man. Just having general conversations with 
potentially the team, well, ultimately the team I went to, but potentially the team that Tremaine could have went to as well. Mm. So it was just fun having my mom and dad, everyone that just experienced that. That's awesome. And then talk to me about that draft moment. Um, heard some of the stories about it. Uh, it was unbelievable just seeing you guys both there. Um, I remember watching and that was just such a cool moment, but kind of walk us through that day and that moment where you ultimately got the phone call and when your brother got the phone call as well. Man, it was exciting. Um, we were all in the hotel all day. We were trying to celebrate all day. Uh, Jermaine and I, we slept in the same room, so we woke up super early together, um, just walking downstairs, seeing all the smiles on everyone's faces. And when it really got, like, stressful in your head, when you're like, okay, now everything, the butterflies are coming, is when you're on the bus going there because you don't know what to expect. You don't know who's there. And it was just a good time once you got there because it's like a whole parade. And then while you're in the green room, everyone's quiet. Everyone's parents are walking around, pacing back and forth. Um, and it just was amazing when Tremaine got drafted. Um, everyone was so happy um, when he first got the call. They were talking about they were trying to call him on the cell phone, but they, they were on his, uh, the regular phone, but they ended up calling the cell phone. So, man, it was just amazing after Tremaine got drafted. And then we went back into the green room, uh, hoping that I was going to get drafted that day. Um, and then it happened. And I was so happy. I was walking around, uh, crying a little bit, walked on stage. They gave me whatever size hat it was. And almost <laughs> the craziest thing about that day, that night, though, is that so everyone knows what happened with Ryan Shazier. And we will forever mm -hmm. share that uh, memory of that day for him and that day for me. But when I first shook his hand, like I yanked a little bit, just so excited. But that was just it was crazy that day. We still talk about that to this day. And then a talent, I mean, Pittsburgh this past year, a super talented backfield, arguably the best defense in the NFL, just a couple statistics, top three in the NFL in yards per game in the air, uh, top three in points surrendered and top three in takeaways. You're playing with a, with an old New Jersey kid who's really, really talented and make a Fitzpatrick. Um, but just talk to us a little bit about that unit, what you, how, how locked in you guys were and, um, just how the season has gone for you. Man, we were just pushing each other every day, even in the offseason, because last offseason we had all the COVID stuff first starting and quarantining. So we had to do everything over Zoom calls. So just always in communication through text, just trying to make sure our communication was right for the season. Mm -hmm. And just to start with our DBs, you know, you got Joe Hayden. He's probably one of the best DBs that we knew just from growing up. So we have him as a cornerstone. And then we have uh, Minka, like you said, Minka, he's one of the best safeties in the league, if not the best. And then you have Steve Nelson. He's another lockdown corner that we have. And then you have me. So I just felt like we we meshed together uh, nicely and we gelled together on the field. As you look forward to next year um, in this next football season, what's kind of been a focus for you in improvement, whether it be strength, speed, technique, understanding? What is something that what is the one thing that you'd say you're most focused on uh, improving here? Uh, really just technique, um, coming down, guarding the slots from a distance, uh, just coming down and having my footwork on point, um, not being patient, not being overly rushed to do anything, just really, really eyeing down and trying to work on my technique. And then life outside of football here, what are you, Terrell, what are your biggest passions, man? What do you like to do in your spare time? You're in a little bit of the off season right now. What are, mm -hmm. what are some of your passions outside of football? My passion, I would say, um, is music. 
I recently yeah. released some music. I released it on Apple Music and everything, but that is what I'm passionate about. I always did it. Even in college, I did it some, but now just having a platform and everything, just trying to put out the music now um, is something that I just enjoy doing. So if you weren't, if you were not playing football right now, mm-hmm. what would Terrell Edmonds be doing? Selling houses. Selling houses? Why? I just feel like it's, it's good money into real estate and mm-hmm. just feel like I could sell a house. Like I can go and try to talk to somebody and encourage them to come buy this house. Shout out to Deshaun McLeese. No, he That's just, uh, just opened up his brand stand in Keller Williams, man. Yeah. He just told me that he called me the other day. It was, I was excited for him. Heck yeah. Awesome. And then talk to us a little bit about your book that came out last week. My brother's keeper, what it means to me. Uh, hinted at it earlier. You becoming an author. Um, what is this book about? Who is it for? And where can everybody get it? Uh, it's a children's book. Um, it's a children's book. You can get it on Amazon. And really, it's just all about the morals that my parents and people around us instilled in us when we were growing up. And it's just showing what brotherhood is, showing how you should treat people. Uh, it's an easy read for all children. And it's just something that we wanted to put out there just to show, just to give back to people because so many people gave to us. That's awesome. I love that. So Terrell, we're, we're getting into the, uh, coming down to the end here. One of my favorite segments, it's rapid fire. Rapid fire is brought to you by Sharkies. I know you're a McAdoo's wing guy, but we do love the wings over at Sharkies as well. So look, as soon as, uh, as soon as I ask the question, first thing pops in your head, just okay. roll with it. Who was the best football playing basketball player? Isaiah. Isaiah? Oh, I'm surprised mm-hmm. you didn't pick yourself. That's surprising. I was going to have to. I'm okay. number two. Isaiah, Isaiah is number one. Though. Okay. You have to pick a five to play against the basketball team from your time at Virginia Tech. Who is the five that you roll with? From my time? Yes. Just from my year on or the guys that were? Guys that were on the team when you were at Tech. Me, of course. Okay. Isaiah. Okay. Tremaine. Mm-hmm. Trey. And then uh, this one's a tough one because I'm going to tell you who I have in my mind. I have green in my head. Oh, wow. I thought, I okay, I'm going to tell you who I have in my head. Okay, go ahead. I have green, I have mine in my head. I have Ray Miner in my head. So, no, I was thinking that you might go size. You might go TJ Jackson or, you or someone like TJ. that. I would say TJ Jackson. Okay. TJ Jackson. I only would say not TJ Jackson because we have Tremaine. So Tremaine's height is up there. Okay. Um, we we'll, really will just be running back and forth. We were just trying to win with layup lines pretty much. So, so who are you going with? Raymond Miner, underrated Hooper, by the way. That's underrated. Not, that's a good throw in. I'm going to say TJ, though. Okay. I think Tremaine would get tired of going down to the block. Tremaine trying to put a, a three guard too much. Favorite place to eat in Blacksburg? Hokey House. What are you getting from Hokey House? What's, what's the Terrell Edmonds special? I'm getting the Cajun wings, fries, and I might go ahead and, and double down and get two of them. Okay. What about your favorite place to eat in Pittsburgh? Soul and Sea. What is Soul and Sea? What, 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 what's, again, what's the go-to order for Terrell Edmonds at Soul and Sea? Soul and Sea would be a pasta. They make, like, different types of pasta. And it's, like, really cheesy. It has fried lobster tail, fried shrimp. It has fried um, salmon bites. So I just, I love that pasta right there. 
You, I gotta say, I do owe you some credit. You put me on to the swole um, barbecue barbecue concept, which I had never heard of. I had never heard of. Can you explain for the people what swole is here? Like, what what is that, and how did you even come up with this concept? So when I was younger, I used to always mix my food. So I guess you can say now that I'm older too, I still mix my food. But I, it used to be macaroni. Every time I had macaroni and cheese and cornbread, I mixed. And then one day I mixed it with some baked beans. So I mixed all three. And then I just started calling it swole wherever I went. I just felt like that put some weight on me. And at Virginia Tech, like you were saying, I was telling everybody, man, you got to try this. You got to try this. All you guys were like, you don't want your food touching. But it was, it was actually good. You can't lie. You got to tell them. No, I, I I do it all the time. If I'm getting barbecue and I'm getting cornbread, baked beans, I'm mac and cheese, it brisket, it's all it's. I'm saying let yeah, me get a bowl. barbecue sauce right on top. Yep, a hundred percent. No, I'm I appreciate you getting me hip to that because that's been that's been a game changer for me. Um, what is the toughest matchup that you had so far in your NFL career? College, I'm gonna say Tyler Boyd. Okay, Tyler Boyd. Uh, he played for Pitt. Um, that was really like my first game ever starting. And he was the top guy. I think he was offensive player of the year the year before. Mm-hmm. And just going against him, just I felt like I got better that day and and I competed and made a name for myself. Here's the last two that I have for rapid fire, and then we'll close out with letters from the lunch pail. Uh, who's the best hooper of all time? LeBron James. All right. I may not agree, but okay. We'll I go know, with LeBron. Like Mike Jordan. Okay. And then who's on your Mount Rushmore of rappers all time? Jay-Z. Okay. Tupac. Biggie. Okay. Oh, uh, no, I'm not going to say him. Yeah, Lil Wayne. Isaiah's going to be hot if you don't say Drake with number four. Uh, Lil Wayne. Lil Wayne, number four. Okay. Okay, went old school here, too. I got you. Yeah. Um, so for I letters... Like, of the, I don't like Drake. I don't like Drake. You don't like Drake at all? You don't like him like you don't like his... Like, it's just not your style, or you just don't it's think it's very good? not my style of music. Okay, I'm all right. Okay. I like him as a person. Come on now. <laughs> All right. I got you. Well, I'll say, I don't know if you don't, if you don't like the, if, if it's, if it's a style thing or if it's just, it's not, it's not your, it's not your type. So, okay. I like it's a little softer for me. Okay. A little soft for Terrell. I got you. What, uh, so letters from the lunch pail. Here we go. I got two for you. Sarah Craig would like to know, is Pramonti brothers overrated or does it meet the hype? It meets the hype. It meets the hype. It's actually pretty good. Um, I'm a big Philly steak and cheese type of person, and they had the Philly steak and cheese sandwich, so it was definitely pretty good. Throw the fries on there. I don't eat the coleslaw. Don't let a Pittsburgher hear that, but I don't eat the coleslaw, but everything else, I enjoy it. And then last question that we have comes from Grayson. What is your favorite moment that you've had with your brothers in your football or your athletic career overall? Man, playing that first game, my – my second year in the league, all of us on the same field at the same time. I just felt like, man, we, we really made it. Everything that we talked about, it was just a special moment, something that I always remember, and a, a game I always love. Terrell, this is your opportunity. This is the shout-out section, so you got to tell us, where can we get your music? You okay. already told us we can get the book on Amazon and anything else that you want to plug or you have going on. This is, this, is, this is your time. You can get the music on YouTube. I, just under Terrell Lemons, or you can get it on any other music platform. And I just want to shout out to my parents, shout out to the Virginia Tech family, from the coaches to the fans to the guys I used to play with. Man, just thank you guys. And hope, once a hokey, always a hokey. 
Terrell, great seeing you, man. Got a lot of love for you. When I get back to the East Coast, we got to get together. I still owe you dinner because we did that fantastic one by uh, by the Pittsburgh Stadium, man. But uh, good to see you're doing well, and uh, we'll talk soon. My guy, I appreciate you. All right, everybody. Back today. It's a very, very exciting day. Uh, I get to join the Hokie Hoops crew, Mike McDaniel and Ed Williams. Guys, sons of madness. It is time. It is March. I feel like John Rothstein right now. Today, we're going to talk a little bracketology, some matchups we're excited about, who has their work cut out for them, and our very own Mike Young's boys going into their first game against the seven-seeded Florida Gators. But first off, Mike and Ed, how y'all doing? Good, man. Can't complain. I mean, I'm just glad we're to this point. We got a bracket this year. Last year, just like being so close and then have the pandemic just shut everything down when we're in conference tournament time. It's just really good to have a bracket to talk about this year. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, hopefully, fingers crossed, everything in Indy stays clean, safe, and healthy, and everyone can play these games because, you know, the guys deserve it. They've been through a lot all year, all around the country. And I, for one, will firmly stamp that this is now four straight appearances for the Virginia Tech Hokies. So I don't I don't want to hear any otherwise from anyone. I Isn't that crazy, man? I mean, I think, too, I think back to last year, and everybody's all excited about March Madness. I remember being out in Palm Springs, talking to like my friends about it. Like, dude, tournaments next week. Was a little ner- nervous about the coronavirus at the time. And then a week later, boom, everything's done. March Madness, NBA, you name it, it's done. And, and I still, I think about it. Those clowns up in Charlottesville technically have been the reigning champions for two years. And that's makes my blood boil. So it's high time that those guys get off their high horse. Time for a new tournament. Before we get into it, man, March Madness is sick. So sick that you might need some hand sanitizer or a box of tissues. And where do the Sons of Saturday go to get such things? We go down to the Main Street Pharmacy. Do us a favor. Go pop down and see our very good friend, Dr. Jeremy Counts and his friendly staff, They will always greet you with a smile and call you by your name, not a number. Main Street Pharmacy is the official one-stop shop for all your pharmaceutical needs and all of the pharmaceutical needs of the Sons of Saturday. Guys, quick, in the news, let's talk about it. Storm Murphy, lightning and thunder in Blacksburg, transferring to Virginia Tech. Kid averages 17.8 points a game, six feet tall, a buck 80, I mean, what, what what do you guys think about this addition to Mike Young's offense next year? Mike, what, what what are your thoughts? I mean, it's gigantic. I mean, I think the complaint with, you know, Tech at times with their starting five this year has been, okay, where are they going to get the offense from outside of Keve Aluma? And when Tyrese Radford was out, you know, where are they going to find that consistent offense? And I think having another guard on the roster who can – produce his own shot and be a guy who can create his own offense, I think is huge for this program next year. Um, Tech's going to have a lot of guys returning, obviously. They're a very young team, a very talented team, obviously getting into the tournament and Mike Young's second year. Adding Storm Murphy, a guy who can not only score the basketball, but a guy who is obviously familiar with Mike Young's offensive system, obviously playing for him at Wofford and being able to land him Again, like Young just continues to bring in guys who he has familiarity with and it's worked out really well for him. 
And it's kind of like, you know, these guys fly under the radar during their recruitment, right? And then he just lands these guys from, you know, mid-major conferences. And whether it's Wofford or Delaware, you know, it, it just seems like he always brings these guys in and they're consistently very good. Storm Murphy's no different. He's going to be a huge addition to the lineup. And I can't wait to see what he does next year. I mean, it gives us a very nice core offensively outside of the big men, which I think is something Virginia Tech desperately needs. I, I agree, Ed. Was it you, Ed, who who put in in the Sunday Saturday Slack the uh, what the the greens, beans, potatoes, tomatoes video? Was it that was you? <laughs> I knew it, man. I uh, I saw I saw what Bisabidi's tweet. He says he's going to get roasted. What what are your thoughts on that video, Ed? That video is awesome. I'm so glad that surfaced last night. Um, my first thought when I heard about you know Storm Murphy entering the portal was it se- almost seemed like a too good to be true kind of situation. Yeah. Um, where I didn't really want to believe that it was going to happen. I figured he'd be- go closer to home or something like that. Um, but the kid can play. I mean, he's just a certified bucket, and he I think he'll complement what we have elsewhere elsewhere on the roster very well. Um, what this means for BD, not really sure. I could kind of see a world where they play together. You know, very much offense versus defense backcourt. Um, but that would be a very small lineup as well. Uh, I think he's a great player, and I'm really, really happy Mike Young was able to land him. I mean, in the recent weeks, Justin Mutz has kind of been our best player, um, you know, a, a lower-level transfer. And if Murphy can bring that kind of effect next year uh, to go with, like you said, Mike Aluma and Mutz and, you know, all the good wing play we already have, this team, you know, their ceiling just raised a little bit for next year. When you talk about Justin Mutz, I mean, he just had a – hell of a game probably one of the best games of his career against the North Carolina Tar Heels we're talking in the news tough loss uh this past week against the Tar Heels we were really hanging with them there for for a long time uh I I, I think just size we were outsized there outgassed there at the end shout out to Armando Baycott that kid is uh he's a hell of a basketball player five stars out of Florida I mean you you know UNC the Blue Bloods they're gonna always have kids like that uh, and he went off late and and really uh, made the separation there. It was like a 10-point game. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that we'll bounce back. The Tar Heels, they have a, a tough one out of the gate against the Wisconsin Badgers. So, you know, good luck, guys, whatever. Uh, <laughs> hope to see you down the line. Uh, last thing in the, in, in the news, women's bracket for the NCAA tournament comes out tomorrow at 7 p.m. EST. We're very much looking forward to seeing how that shakes out. Ed, you had said prior to us pressing record, they're projected as an eight seed, which uh, which would be incredible. So here's to hoping that the Lady Hokies get a solid matchup. Guys, I, I really hope that they do, because another thing I think about last year is remember how great of a season they had, and then the tournament didn't even happen. You know, like that was uh, – that was really, really unfortunate. So I, I hope that they get to play. Yeah, I hope so too. I mean, they've, they had a really up and down year, but you know, once they got into February, teams started playing a lot better. So it's cool to see them kind of make that late season surge and hopefully get into the bracket tomorrow night. Yeah. It looks like they should be safe. I know early in the year, they lost a lot of close games, but as the year progressed, they continued to, you know, keep pushing and started winning those close games. So uh, it'll be really cool to see them, you know, in the tournament this year. Absolutely. So moving right along, what I'm going to do is we're just going to open the floor up um, right out right out of the gate. Which number one seed has the hardest road to the final four? Ed, we'll start with you. I'm not sure which one has the hardest road. I've kind of gone back and forth on this. I think 
the Midwest where Illinois is has some really good teams. Um, but so does the East with Michigan. I'll say Michigan has the hardest road because I don't think they're as good as Illinois. Um, I think Illinois is really, really good and therefore it won't be quite as hard for them anyway. But, you know, Michigan's got a potential second round matchup against LSU or St. Bonaventure. LSU played a really good game um, in the SEC tournament. They've also got, you know, Georgetown making their little Cinderella run and Florida State in that bracket as a four seed. That's a really, really good four seed. Um, so I think Michigan's got the hardest, hardest path to the final four. I agree. Um, I think it's got to be Michigan. I mean, uh, Ed, you brought up a great point. Like Michigan is probably the worst out of the four number one seeds with the way that Illinois has been playing recently and the way, honestly, that Gonzaga has been playing, obviously undefeated. But Baylor, outside of really just having that COVID pause last month where they had a few games after that where they were just kind of fledgling a little bit, you know, they've played really good basketball. Obviously, they didn't win their conference tournament, but they have a very good team. I think Michigan is probably the weakest of the four number one seeds. They have a good team, but they are flawed. You know, they can be beaten. But I just look at that region, um, Michigan State, UCLA in a first four game. Like Michigan State is a team as an 11 seed. I really like the way that they've been playing um, recently. I think that they're a team that can make a little bit of a run. I'm not sure if they'd make it far enough to see Michigan uh, to see Michigan in their, uh, you know, cross-state rivalry. But that'll be a tough game. Um for Michigan State playing BYU, who's playing good basketball all year long, Florida State being in that bracket, you mentioned LSU. I think it's really just got to be the East. I mean, the East is just a tough bracket in general. It's just going to be a tough road for Michigan there, I think. I agree. I'm I'm definitely on the same page. Uh, to throw to throw a little variant in there, I, I will say I don't think that Gonzaga's road to the Final Four is as easy as as ESPN is making it seem. And you keep in mind you have UVA is in that region. Uh, Oklahoma is in that region. Uh, you know, I'm not saying Oklahoma is is a great team by any stretch of the imagination, but I, you know, it's March, guys. Like you you can be great in the regular season and and be 26 and 0 all you want to, but as soon as you're you're in the throes of the tournament, all bets are off. I mean, it's just that's why it's called March Madness. So I would not be surprised to see Gonzaga get knocked off in the Sweet 16 or in the Elite Eight. I, I just wouldn't. Uh, full transparency. Uh, second question, what matchups are we liking out of the gate? Me personally, I, I do really like we the one that I discussed earlier, the UNC-Wisconsin matchup. I think, I mean, that that's going to be insane. That's going to be a hell of a basketball game. Really looking forward to that. Uh, that's in the South. And then in the East, uh, I think a very underrated game, a very underrated matchup will be uh, UConn seven seed versus the Maryland uh, Terrapins, uh, the Terps ten seed. I think that will be a, a very good game as well. So, Mike, what which which of these matchups that you're seeing here on the bracket are you excited about? Yeah, I want to go over to the South Region real quick. So, Arkansas Colgate in that three fourteen game, um, that's going to be first one to a hundred, like those teams can really get up and down and score. They like playing up-tempo basketball. Arkansas is really good. I think they'll win that basketball game, but I think Colgate can hang for a bit. That's going to be a high-scoring, explosive game. If you're looking for, you know, a really high seed that could potentially lose early, um, I think Colgate, if they get hot from three, could be a team that could absolutely knock off Arkansas. They're well-coached, but I could see that happening. Um, so that's one out of the south that immediately caught my eye. Uh, Creighton and UC Santa Barbara in the West region, the 5-12 game, 
you know, Creighton's had some stuff going on off the court. They've had some distractions obviously going on with their basketball program, but you know, they've been playing kind of up and down lately. Um, the Georgetown game uh, in the Big East Championship did not go well for them. They lost by, you know, a metric ton of points. Um, Georgetown hit everything they looked at. Creighton couldn't keep up. There was a huge run in that game. They went on like something like a 42 to 12 run or something like that. Um, Georgetown just pulled away quickly. So I think Creighton should definitely be on upset alert. That's one of the five twelve games I have circled there. Um, and then in the East, I, I mentioned this in, you know, in our last segment, I think Michigan State beats UCLA in the first four. That 11-6 game against BYU, I think, can certainly be competitive. Michigan State's playing really good basketball. BYU has been pretty consistent all year long. That could be a really good matchup there if Michigan State gets out of that first four game against UCLA, which I expect them to. So, you know, those are a few that kind of that kind of caught my eye right out of the gate. And then, you know, the one other game in the Midwest, I'll just kind of kind of complete my way around the uh, around the bracket here, is uh, San Diego State and Syracuse, the six eleven game. San Diego State is sneaky good. Um, they kind of fly under the radar because of the conference they play in, but. They won a ton of games this year. Um, they're a really good basketball team. I think they went like 23 and four in the Mountain West. So that's a really good team. And Syracuse, I think, creates a matchup problem because of the zone defense they play. And they're just tough to prepare for. So that's that's definitely a matchup in the first round I got my eye on. Can Syracuse slow down that San Diego State offense has a lot of balance to it? Yeah, that game stylistically is definitely going to be an interesting one to watch. You guys touched on most of the ones that I kind of had circled right off the bat. Um a couple others that I will mention is uh, Ohio potentially against Virginia. Um, Ohio's got a good guard and Jason Preston. He, he can play a little bit. Uh, so that'll be a fun one to watch. Uh, the Maryland-Connecticut game will be, you know, of interest to me. Um, I think Maryland got a pretty good draw there. And I think Maryland is super hit or miss um, which way they go. So we'll have to see um, kind of what they, you know, what they show up and look like. And then the one that I really like that's probably not going to happen as a potential upset, but could be fun anyway, is Alabama and Nate Oates against Iona and Rick Patino. Rick Patino is <laughs> back in the tournament. Uh, his fifth team, he's now guided to the NCAA tournament. That's a 2 15 um, matchup. So it might be interesting to see what Rick Patino can dial up against Alabama and Nate Oates. Um, other than that, you guys kind of touched on all, all the good ones. There's some really good matchups. Um, actually, you know what? One more I'll dive into. Uh, as potential upset as Winthrop over Villanova. Uh, Winthrop's a good program. They win their conference, you know, pretty routinely. And Villanova without Colin Gillespie is not the same animal. So that could be a potential first round upset that we may want to pay attention to. These are all these are all great. I mean, I mean, this this is why we love March. All these games that we're talking about right now, and this is this will make up the next month. Uh, we're so stoked about this. Last uh, last question before we get into a little hub history here. Which higher-seeded teams should be nervous in round one? I'll, I'll answer this one. This is the one that I saw right out of the gate. Houston versus the 15th seed, Cleveland State. I think Houston should be nervous. I don't know. That game just has upset written all over it round one. Can't even explain to you why, really. Houston is 24-3. and three. Cleveland State, 19 and seven, solid record. Who who knows? That's that's one to watch right out of the gate. Ed, what you got? Yeah, I'll jump right back to the Alabama and Iona game. Coaching wins in March, and Rick Pitino is obviously pretty good at that. Um, I don't know like how high of a seed. I mean, Mike mentioned Arkansas Colgate. That's a 314. Um, I don't know if a five is considered high, so that Villanova Winthrop. 
Um, one more I will mention is Purdue, North Texas. North Texas is a good little team. And um, Purdue is kind of hit or miss as well, like some of those other middle tier Big Ten teams. Um, so that one could be interesting as well. Yeah, uh, the two for me are UVA against Ohio in the 413 game uh, in the West region, and then in the 314 game, Arkansas Colgate in the South. Um, I know I touched on that earlier, but Colgate can shoot the lights out of the gym when they get hot, and Arkansas can get up and down. They are just a really, really good SEC team. Um, obviously, Eric Musselman has them really well coached. So that's just an intriguing game on so many levels just because they're so similar in how they play. It's just obviously a different caliber of athlete in the SEC. So I'm really just interested to see how that game turns out. But I think Colgate can absolutely uh, beat Arkansas if they make enough shots, which they've shown the ability to do. So it's going to be a really high-scoring affair. So that's the one that I just – I'm, I'm so excited to watch that game in round one. That's like the one I obviously have circled. Absolutely. Should be uh, should be a hit, as Pat Finn would say. Guys, with that being said, let's move into a little hub history presented by The Hub Blacksburg. Y'all, opening in fall of 2021, The Hub Blacksburg is the premier off-campus living situation at Virginia Tech with a state-of-the-art workout facility, study lounges, an outdoor pool, and enhanced technology and security who wouldn't want to live in Blacksburg's newest, sleekest apartment complex? You can go online right now to huboncampus.com backslash Blacksburg today to apply for a one-year lease. Y'all, I've checked them out. Four-bedroom apartments. This is the place to be. If I'm currently a student at Virginia Tech looking for a place to live next year, I'm checking out the hub in Blacksburg. With that being said, here's a little factoid for you, a little history noticeably absent, and you might have already heard this, from the tournament this year, Duke, Louisville, and Kentucky. Crazy. That's absolutely absurd. The, the first time that Duke, who currently sits at 13 and 11 this, this season, and Kentucky haven't been in the tournament in the same year was 1976. Ironically enough, that is also the same year that an undefeated team won the NCAA tournament, Bob Knight's Indiana Hoosiers basketball team. Uh, And in all of Virginia Tech tournament appearances, this is the first time that the Hokies have ever been ranked a 10 seed. This, as Ed so elegantly pointed out earlier, also makes the fourth consecutive year in a row that Virginia Tech will go dancing, which is very, very exciting. Seth Greenberg, you cannot talk about us all you want to. But in the last four years, we've gone to the tournament more times than you ever took us there. So just want to point that out. Might get some heat for that on the TL, but I don't care. So I don't know, guys. It's it, it's exciting. I'm just so excited about the, the trajectory of this program uh, and what Coach Mike Young is doing in Blacksburg, especially now that he's really starting to get his guys in the rotation. Uh, you know, let's be honest for a second. What are y'all's expectations for the tournament? Do you see us getting past Florida? What do you think? So we've been talking about this a little bit in the Slack group uh, for Sons of Saturday earlier. And I know a lot of folks are are thinking this is just kind of going to be like an easy game for Tech to win. It's certainly winnable. Like I think Florida has been a bit overrated all year long, um, but they are well coached. I mean, they're, they're certainly well coached. Um, Mike White has been around the block, right? And, and Florida is a team that is used to playing on the big stage come tournament time. Um, and, and they are a well-coached team. And it's not going to be an easy game 
uh, for Tech. I do think that with that being said, it is a favorable draw for the Hokies. The fact that, you know, Tech was able to avoid the 8-9 line I think was pretty significant. We talked about this before we hit record, and and I know we'll dive into this a bit more as we talk about Tech now, but I think the Hokies really did not benefit from the COVID pause as far as seeding was concerned. I think that really, you know, put Tech in a bad way. Um, I think given who the Hokies had on the schedule, you know, when games started getting postponed and then eventually canceled, you know, there were some winnable games there. There were also some tough games there that Tech certainly could have won or lost, but I have a hard time thinking that Virginia Tech is truly a 10 seed. Um, the Hokies, I think, are the best 10 seed in the tournament. Um, they are a very good team. This is a team that is very underseeded. There are several teams that are underseeded, also a few overseeded. But, you know, I, I think realistically, the fact that Tech even got to March Madness, right, and got into the NCAA tournament in year two under Mike Young, everything from here on out, in my opinion, is icing on the cake. But with that being said, with how the team has played this year, I would love to see Tech at least get through the first round, win a game, right, and have something to build on going into next year with all these core guys coming back, adding Storm Murphy. Um, I, I think just winning a game would be something great to build off of, and anything on top of that, again, is icing on the cake. But considering Tech was picked 11th in the ACC coming into the year, like this is great that Tech's even in, in the tournament and we're even having this discussion. Yeah, 11th in the ACC to a 10 seed in the NCAA tournament. Um, take that, ACC writers. Uh, I, I'm i not, like, super concerned with the matchup. I think Florida's really good, and they've got really good athletes. Um, they're a good team. They obviously deserve to be here. Uh, I do think we are the best 10 seed in the tournament. Um, we're a really, really good 10 seed. If you go back and look at history and, you know, resumes and stuff, the COVID stoppage is just, I mean, completely put um, – you know, a halt to any momentum we had. And it's, and it's tough to not play and then play a game. I thought we played really well against UNC, all things considered with the break that we had. Um, we just kind of got worn down physically, which is, you know, put, brings me to my next point. That's my biggest concern is how conditioned are we? Um, we looked fine, you know, cardiovascularly against UNC, but as the game wore on, those big dudes just beat us down. Um, now, I don't know that Florida has big, heavy guys like North Carolina does, so that could, you know, come in our favor. Um, you know, guys like Keve Aluma aren't exactly, you know, the most swole, um, but they're very skilled and athletic. So our bigs are a little bit different than UNC's bigs. I think that was a problem in that game, but I think this Florida matchup could be better for us. Um, I'm not going to bet against Mike Young though, man. I mean, he, he's been around the block. I know this team technically has not been around the block. We have BD and, you know, I guess Tyrese Radford was in the room during those, those uh, Virginia tech runs a couple years back, but, I'm not going to bet against Mike Young and his coaching staff. They've just proven over and over again how good they are. And, you know, Coach Young's had some success in the NCAA tournament in the past um, with a lot less resources and a lot less talent on his roster. Um, I do I do have a little bit of concern, you know, are the lights too bright? Like Coach Young mentioned, um, Keve Aluma looked a little nervous the other day against UNC, um, which is kind of the first time we've seen that. I, I hope that doesn't carry over for guys like him and, you know, Couture, Aline, mutts in general just guys who haven't really been here like you said florida's been here um so that's my biggest concern how conditioned are we and will the lights be too bright i will say this though justin mutts i don't think cares uh will be sabidi's not going to care um so those guys need to you know rally the troops because i do think there'll be some guys who um maybe are a little nervous and hopefully we can not play too tight right off the bat and get out of there 
you know, give good first half, right? Keep it close at half, and then we'll see what happens in the second. Well, Mutz isn't scared. Mutz isn't scared of anybody, man. I Fearless. mean, I like we're talking about the North Carolina game. Like they physically in the front court had a distinct advantage against our bigs. And this is just weight. They're just heavy. Just yeah, just weight. And it, like it's it's funny to say that too, because you know, as far as like recent tech teams are concerned, this is probably the best we've been in the front court in a while, as far as like who we have there plus the depth that we had. You know, you think back to two years ago when we were in the Sweet 16 with Buzz, like we had Blackshear. Blackshear is a great player, but we had no depth really in the front court. And now you got two guys in Aluma and Mutz. Mutz defensively all year has been really good, but the fact that his offense has come along, man, he wasn't scared of anybody in the North Carolina game. Aluma and the lights being a little too bright against UNC in the ACC tournament, that concerns me a little bit, Ed, and I'm, I'm with you there. Um, but hopefully he puts that behind him and that's just kind of had an off game and we can just roll from there. But that does make me a little bit nervous, I think, going into the NCAA tournament when Aluma, one of our most consistent players all year, just kind of didn't look right the last time we saw him. I think uh, hopefully yeah, one can hope that the ACC tournament kind of shook that, shook the the dim the lights even a little bit. Because, I mean, the ACC tournament is a big stage. I mean, the ACC is the premier Conference and all conference basketball and competing for an ACC title is a big deal. So hopefully that game against UNC helps shake the nerve, shake the frost a little bit, and that the guys will be ready to rock. Uh, I personally cannot wait. Uh, I, like both of you, think that we can beat Florida. I don't think it's going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but we will go out there and we will compete uh, I, I love, I love what y'all are saying about Mutz because it's so true. He's fearless. And then Boots, man, I don't know. There was a play in the UNC game where Boots comes down the court. There's like four defenders back on defense, all in Carolina blue, goes straight to the rack and scores. And I'm just like, that is the intensity. That is the aggression that we have to play with to, to take it the next to the next step uh, in this tournament. So uh, with that being said, we'll move into the last segment of this uh, this episode here. Lightning round presented by our friends at Sharky's Blacksburg. Y'all, we love Sharky's. And you know what? We were going to keep this a secret, but I'm I'm tired of keeping this a secret. We got a big merchandise collaboration coming with Sharky's. 100 T-shirts, Sons of Sharky's T-shirts coming out in the next couple of weeks. Keep your eyes peeled. They are Probably it is probably the favorite, my favorite T-shirt we have ever made, and uh, they're going to go quick. And you can only get them where good friends go. Sharky's Blacksburg. Stay tuned for that, guys. Real quick, number one in the lightning round. Who was your surprise team? Oh man, um, this is tough. I mean, I think it's hard to call a six seed a surprise, but I talked a little bit about them earlier. I think mine is San Diego State. Um, San Diego State, 23-4 and four in the Mountain West, really well-balanced scoring team. Matt Mitchell in the front court, Jordan Shackle in the back court. They've been very good. This is a team that I think is just slept on because of the conference they play in, but they are very consistently a team to watch in March Madness when they get here. And, look, they have a draw that I think is semi-favorable if they can get past Syracuse in the first round. You know, you have West Virginia, who I would assume would beat Moorhead State. So that's your, you know, your round two game that you would have to look forward to. But San Diego State is so well coached. 
West Virginia can be a bit chaotic in the tournament from the standpoint of, you know, in, in Big 12 play, you know, with the full court press defense they run, like they're always it's controlled chaos when they know who they're playing on a day-to-day basis, when they're playing conference opponents, when they get to the tournament, all bets are kind of off. It's been a mixed bag in terms of success for them. I think San Diego state is well coached enough where they could beat a team like West Virginia and make a run in a sweet 16. So I, I don't know if calling a six seed um, a surprise would be appropriate, but like, that's the one team I'm looking at, you know, coming out of that region in the Midwest where I'm like, you know what, they can make a little bit of a run. It wouldn't surprise me given the way that they're coached. Yeah. I, I honestly have no idea how to answer this question. Um, it's just such a weird year. Like if you looked at during the selection show, the number of games various teams played was just so like, it just varied completely. I mean, it's so hard to know like who is what they, you know, what their record or resume says they are. Um, I, my eyes keep going back to Michigan state though. Um, as an 11 seed, I just can't bet against Tom Izzo. I'm not going to get into the business of doing that. Um, if they can get past, of course I say this, but they could easily lose to BYU and be out before the real tournament even begins. So, um, who knows, but I'm not getting involved in betting against Tom Izzo. He's such a good coach and 23 straight years for Michigan state and Tom Izzo. Um, I'll, I'll point to the 11 seed Spartans as a potential team that can make a little run. Both great answers. Love that. Second lightning round question. If a team were to beat the undefeated Zags, who you got? Ed, we'll start with you. Man, that's hard. Um, I don't know because they're in their immediate, you know, teams right next to them, Oklahoma, Missouri, Creighton, Santa Barbara, Virginia, Ohio. I don't know that any of them can beat them. Um, but when you get to the, you know, the other part of their bracket team, like maybe USC with Evan Mobley could give them a hard time. Kansas, I mean, hopefully Kansas can play, but you know, they obviously have ballers. Bill Self's been there before. Uh, Oregon's a good team. And then Iowa is very hit or miss, but you know, Luca Garza is a handful. I don't know. I, I kind of think Gonzaga got a pretty good draw. Um, Oklahoma can score the ball a lot. So if that was a second round matchup, maybe that could give them trouble on short notice. Um, but I don't know. I don't know that they really have a, a, a one that jumps off the page at me as a team that could beat Gonzaga. They're so good. Um, you know, they got depth, they have lottery pick level talent and Jalen Suggs. They just, they're such a good team and it feels like it should be their year. Um, but as a, as a somewhat middle seed in their bracket that could beat them, I'll say USC, uh, with Evan Mobley, that dude's a handful. So I don't know. I, I like Gonzaga's bracket for them. I think they have, you know, this could be the year as everyone always likes to say about them. Yeah. I have a hard time picking anybody in their region in the West that could beat them. Um, I, I think the only two teams in my opinion that can beat Gonzaga are Baylor and Illinois. I think those are two teams that can beat them and they wouldn't really see them until the national championship game. So I have a really hard time betting against Gonzaga. I, you know, I haven't filled out a bracket yet. I know we're, we're kind of, I'm, we're, I'm doing my research as we go here. You know, we're talking about these games. This will be really helpful for me tomorrow when I start penciling in my bracket, but like just on paper, I have a really hard time betting against Gonzaga. I've watched them play several times this year against really good competition. Obviously we were all locked into the Virginia game right around Christmas time. And just to kind of see them on a national stage and what they did to Virginia was, I mean, Virginia's a very coached team under Tony Bennett and they were totally discombobulated. I mean, they, they didn't know up from down. I mean, they, 
They had Gonzaga going right through the pack line defense. I mean, this is a really, really talented team. And we've pointed to Gonzaga teams in the past and we've said, all right, like, look at the caliber of competition. Like, this isn't a team. Like, they're good, but, like, how good are they going to be in March? They got players who can score, you know, lottery pick talent. They got guys who can score at all three levels. Mark Few is one of the best coaches in college basketball. Doesn't get nearly the amount of credit he deserves. And they've been a team that's been in the final four recently, right? I mean, they're a team that's been knocking at that door and I'm waiting for them to break it down. I think this is the year that they do it guys. Like I think there are only a couple teams in college basketball that could beat them and they wouldn't really see them. The two that I picked anyway, Baylor and Illinois, they wouldn't see them until a national championship game They're on the other side of the bracket. So I have a hard time seeing anybody beating Gonzaga, but I think those are the two if I had to pick some. I mean, I, I, I definitely agree. Gonzaga on paper has kind of a, cakewalk uh you know it's it's just kind of that false hope that maybe one of these just middle of the pack teams would be able to knock them off and and ed i agree i think usc i mean i i see that i see that matchup like in a crystal ball somewhere and i don't know i i, I don't know whoever whoever faces gonzaga is is in for it no matter how you cut it and uh i i imagine that they will at least make it to the final four. So we shall see guys. Last question here. You're back in Blacksburg. You're watching the tournament. It's a sunny spring day. You know, weather outside is delightful as Dean Martin says, and uh, you're watching the tournament at Sharky's Blacksburg. What is your go-to order, both drink and food? Ed, we'll start with you. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I, I'm actually, now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, looking at these dates for these various rounds, maybe I'll try to make it down there. Um, I would have to go with some wings, maybe some honey barbecue wings, and any beverage made by JJ at the back bar is good for me. Let's go. Let's go. JJ's the, he's the man. We love JJ. Yeah, for me, it's got to be either the honey barbecue wings, or if I'm in the mood for a sandwich, I'll go with the buffalo chicken sandwich. You get the hokey hot sauce on there. It's always really good. As far as drinks are concerned, man, like I'm a bourbon guy. So anything with bourbon, when I'm out at Sharky's, I'm generally not looking to just have like a bourbon on the rocks, like looking for like good bourbon, obviously. So it's going to be sure. mixed with something. It's generally going to be like a bourbon and Coke, depending on what time of day it is. Um, that's my go-to, I think, at Sharky's. Always, always a hit. Always a hit. Me personally, you know, their, their wing buffet on Sunday, obviously because of COVID right now, that's not really a thing. Uh, but their their wing buffet was always a favorite of mine. Uh, and this is like the little pizza bread that they have. I also, uh, anyone who knows me knows that I love the California burger. Very fitting, considering where I currently live. A little avocado and ranch that they throw on there is chef's kiss. It's delicious. Uh, so that was always that was always my go-to. And then, you can, dude, you can't beat the Long Island iced teas on a spring day. Come on now. And it's just, it hits different. So, uh, but yeah, man, listen, guys, this has been so much fun. A little uh, March Madness talk. I appreciate the Hokie Hoops crew taking the time to, to talk with me today. I can't wait to run it again as we really get into uh, March Madness after next weekend. Who knows? Maybe we'll come on here and talk about a Hokie victory over the Florida Gators. Maybe that could that could be in our in our future. Uh, but either way. Stay tuned. Going to be a lot of fun this coming month. Go Hokies as always. And then, guys, Sharky shout-outs. Any, anyone you want to shout-out here, this, the floor is yours. The time is now. All I'll say is this. If we are able to get back together next week, we should do it regardless. But if we're talking again and Virginia Tech's still in this tournament, 
uh, the drinks will be flowing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No <laughs> doubt about it. No doubt about it. I'm just going to say, look, shout out to you guys, right? The sons for, you know, putting all this stuff together. Right. And then shout out Mike Young, man. I mean, Tech shouldn't even be in this position in year two. Ed's got his cold drinks waiting. Let's go. I love that, Ed. That's great, but, uh, man. I mean, Mike Young, the the job that he's done, right, and putting Tech in this position in year two is unbelievable. I mean, this program has such a bright future. So shout out Mike Young. It's only going to get Mike Young. <laughs> Mike Young. It is the Mike Young era. We're happy to have him in Blacksburg. Guys, we'll talk soon. Go Hokies. Time to wander, tripping in the sand We smoke out windows, drink till we can't stand But I saw you dance like you want to in my head And all that she said is Oh, I know what you're thinking Please don't let's let it sink in Trash my friend's place, wake up the next day Take a hit, it started